Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Stapleton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? Good. Good. Good, Bruce. Good. How are you doing? I've been doing a little bit of research. Uh, I Uh-oh. found I found what might be a workaround if we're still having these commercial problems. Uh, somebody found a workaround that says if you if you if you just cut the YouTube URL and you ins- inserted a period at the end of YouTube.com before the slash and you left everything else intact, that somehow that kills the ads. So you could cut it, paste it, add a period after. Dot com, a second period, so dot com, dot, slash, and then all the rest. And that apparently does something to squelch the, uh, all the ads. So is that the something the still listeners would do? Is that yes. if you're, okay. Yeah, oh, that's, that's why I'm mentioning it right up front here. In case those stupid ads are kicking in again on this, I welcome listeners to at least give that a try. It's a little bit of a hassle, but it's more of a hassle to click skip ads every 30 seconds or whatever the hell it is that's going on. I don't know how YouTube's going to keep customers if they keep doing that kind of trick. Yeah, I found it on, I think I found it was a problem on, uh, not on my desktop. Yeah, it doesn't happen everywhere. So there's something funky about it that, that uh, you and I... But it happened on my uh, one device, but not on the other one. Right. I'm just looking at the... Okay, so you get the YouTube youtube.com slash watch yeah. so you yeah, put it after yeah. the after right the after, dot com after com after com you just before put a period the slash, in there extra period before the slash oh and then okay. you then you re then you stick that in a you know in a in the url line start again so you waste a few seconds doing that but then hopefully you don't waste any more seconds with these all right interruptions right in the middle of a sentence it's not even like they sort of put the commercial in at a normal place like yeah, very frustrating. Yeah. For anyone trying to watch it, it I found it extremely mm. Oh, yeah, aggravating as hell. Yeah. So, Bruce, today we're going to talk about a few things. We're doing our uh, Keep, Hold, or Fold series. We've looked at two player, three players already, Clefbaum, Nurse, and Athanasiu. Coming up are uh, Tyler Ennis and Riley Sheehan, two UFAs. So uh, we'll talk about that. We will talk about... Um, Bob Nicholson's uh, comment on Oilers Now about the direction of the team this summer. Uh, and we will, is that it? Is that what we're talking about? Is there anything else? Oh, well, there's a little bit of, there was a little bit of um, back and forth on Ekman Larson and, and Kemper on Oilers mm-hmm. Now that we'll also, right. that we'll also talk about. Um, why don't we just start there, actually? Sure. It was Bob Stoffer talking to Elliot Friedman and Elliot wrote this week in his uh, 31 Thoughts column about the Oilers being interested in Kemper and uh, Ekman Larson. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know. Anyway, he, 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 Elliot said he thought he had that right. And he said, hey, well, Bob, what, you know, what do you think? Do you think I have that right, Bob? And, you know, Bob works for the team. He's, he's an Oilers insider. And Bob said, Bob confirmed, yeah, that he thought the Oilers might be interested. He, then Bob said, I don't know how the Oilers can make that work. And oh, um, this is Bob Stoffer that says it's not Bob Nicholson. This yeah, Bob, Bob Stoffer, excuse me. Okay, gotcha. So, um, you know, Bob is an insider. I, you know, I, I think it would be normal for the Oilers definitely to look into Kemper and the price. The Oilers are looking for a goalie. Why, again, this is one of these situations Ken Holland isn't doing his job if he's not figuring out the price for Darcy Kemper. I also think, Bob, or, uh, Bruce, if, if the Oilers had wanted to meet the asking price, which sounds like a first-round draft pick for Kemper, th- that deal might be made already. The owners have a pretty choice mid, you know, mid-first-round draft pick, and if they were willing to give that up, you'd think uh, the deal would be done, maybe even by now. So I- I'm I'm kind of skeptical. And as for Ekman Larson, I can see them being interested in the player because he played for Tippett. He was a truly a number one defenseman in the league. I just. Everything, every spider sense for me is tingling from what I've watched the player, his age, his contract. You know, it's mainly a contract issue, seven more years at $8.25 million. How can the owners afford that, possibly afford that? Like even, I guess if you moved, the only way I could see you doing it, Bruce, maybe, you you move the Neal contract completely. Right. So that's three more years, is that correct? Three years at 5.75 
million, not counting the 750,000 salary retention on Lucic, which they keep no matter what they do with Neil. So you, so they, they'd have to be willing to take that on mm-hmm. and, um, you know, take, I guess, Chris Russell as well. And maybe something Why else. Why would they do that? I mean, if they're looking to offload Oliver ekman Larson, they don't want other people's bad contracts. So they have to pay them instead of ekman Larson. They're looking to get rid of ekman Larson's contract. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I think there's going to be other teams, Bruce, that are more interested in ekman Larson mm-hmm. and Kemper. If you don't have a true number one goalie going into next year, you're going to offer more than the Oilers are going to offer. You're going to... Mm-hmm. You're going to... You've got more of a need. You will offer what it takes to get Kemper. And I, the Oilers have costed it. Um, and for Ekman Larson, again, do the Oilers, yeah, they'd like a number one defenseman. They'd like Ekman Larson, but there's going to be some other team that doesn't even have, like the Oilers had a fairly decent top four last year, Larson, Bear, Nurse, and Clefbaum. The, you know, is Ekman Larson, you know, maybe they're convinced Tippett and Holland that Ekman Larson's a cut above, you know, that's, that's what everyone's saying right now. Frankly, I'm skeptical. Uh, of that claim that that Ekman Larson's a better player than those guys, just based on his his numbers and his what I've seen of his performance. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, for but that other teams, money, for that other money, teams you are going to have more. You want to have one of the top four or five D men in the league. You know, like where is he on the All Star team? Like, you know, I mean, this is where you're you're talking upper echelon. Uh, we had the same, well, we had this debate last podcast, and I brought up the P.K. Subban situation, and I see it as quite similar. And it's one of those things, if you get it wrong, you are hooped. Like, how the hell do you ever get out of it? If, uh, you know, let's say he starts to decline, and even if he's still playing, you know, like a several million dollar a year player, but not an eight million dollar player, you're losing. And yeah. it's it's hard uh, hard to see that he would play at such a level where you win that. Uh, just the money side of it, you know, the, the the cap hit side of it. I mean, you're talking about 10% of your entire cap hit of your team for that one player. And the Oilers already have two players that make over 10% of the cap hit for the whole team. And you got the right D-man, sure, but 29 to 35-year-old guy, that's, you know, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know that he's in the super elite class. Especially, you know, projecting five to seven years from now. Uh, There's been too many of these kind of trades and signings for the Oilers, Bruce. Yep. And this just strikes me as another, this would be like, honestly, like my honest gut feeling is a colossal. My intuition is a colossal mistake. It would be a colossal mistake to bring him in. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this guy really is a true number one defenseman right now who will play at that level for the next three, four, five, six years, and then, you know, maybe a year. But if he was that good, would they even be looking at moving him? I know they have to move salary out, but I don't know. It's just that I, I, don't, I don't buy this at all as a, as a credible move. So, anyway, a little bit, little bit oh. upset. But, you know, you hear that the owners are interested. But on the other hand, again, they're kicking just, the tires. They're kicking the tires. Check, you know. Checking things out, it would be crazy for them for not to, you know, to check what what the price is, right? That would be nuts not to do it. So, yeah, well, the price that we know for sure is at eight point two five million dollars, and it's hard to imagine that Arizona would be agreeing to taking any retention out of that if they're moving on from the player they want to move on. But so, I think it's uh, more smoke than fire. Yeah. There's plenty of smoke in the air these days now, isn't there? Is uh does Calgary like even Calgary, right? Let's say Ekman Larson, Giordano's old, you know, he's he, he can't last much longer. I could see a team like Calgary being much more interested. Brody's a free agent. Um they've yeah. got a couple of young guys. He might and, make sense for the Calgary Flames. And in Kemper. Yeah, maybe that makes sense, but I just don't I'm not a and Calgary's first-round pick a little behind the Oilers, of course, because they made the playoffs technically and Edmonton didn't. So I think they're 19 or something like that. So they might get Kemper with that pick, and they might decide it's worth it if they, uh, you know, they got uh, one more year of Riddick and they got Talbot as a free agent uh, who they don't necessarily have to bring back if they find a solution somewhere else. So... Just trying to find a poll that I did on uh, Larson. I think I asked fans what they thought of it, but it might have been a while ago. So, mm-hmm. 
don't know if I can easily find it. Let's let's just uh, if I do, I'll just uh, I'll bring it up. Uh, Bruce, what do you think? Let's do um, the first keep hold or fold. Andreas Athanasiu, where are you in terms of keep hold or fold with Athanasiu and why? Okay, uh, I am. Uh, 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 as usual, on the fence, but only to a small degree. I, I, I said in the post, you hold long enough to get an answer to the question about whether he would be willing to sign a deal at the Oilers' price, which has got to be less than $3 million, I think, under the current environment. He, uh, For all that, he played like a $3 million player in 2018-19 when he scored 30 times. And, I mean, the Oilers certainly could use that kind of scoring power on the wing. He's coming off a brutal season and he came to Edmonton and he wasn't able to really turn it around. And even after the four months layoff, he wasn't able to turn it around and make any impact in the play-ins. And his qualifying offer, $3.0 million, and he's got arbitration rights. And so all of the options that, that um, Holland has, I mean, he could do a team-initiated uh, arbitration where the team actually requests that his salary get clawed back by up to 15%. That's messy and there's no guarantees. He could issue a qualifying offer of $3 million and, and that's the low bar and the player could come back and say, okay, I'm going to take it arbitration and it's a crapshoot. Like, I mean, you and I know that uh, 2020, everything is different, but an arbitrator going by the books of how they've done arbitrations in the past, he might not necessarily do things that way. And he might say, well, here's the comparables and here's the, you know, here's the percentage of uh, raises that's normal for this, this salary. So I don't think you want to go down that road at all. So I think you talk to the player and say, we're thinking more of one year, $2 million or $1.5 million or, or whatever you negotiate. <clears throat> and uh, you say, here's your chance. You know, and this is where Ken Holland has an advantage because he signed this player the last time. I treated you fairly. I gave you two years, $6 million. We're in a bind here. You know what it's like here. It's a, it's a tough situation. One year, you get to play with Connor or Leon some of the time. If you have a big year, next year we have cap room. That Then we can talk about doing something serious. But this is to tide you over and tide us over. We got to lowball you. What do you say? And if he says no, then you look to trade him for whatever you can get. I don't think you can get anything like you'd have to be trading him to a team. Um, I'm also in the fold camp though, Bruce, like I'm in the fold camp. I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think in a trade, I'll be surprised because who are you going to trade him to that wants to, they're just going to be in the same position. I think it's incumbent on, it's probably incumbent on, unless the agent's smart, the agent, if the agent's smart, he might be thinking, Ken Holland offers two million bucks. I'm jumping on that. Yeah, no, that's exactly that's what I'm saying. You got but, you got to you got to see if there's a a a, a price out there because there's no guarantees for this player. But the very last thing you want, I think, is arbitration. Yeah. Because you know you get into that situation and there's a lot of bad scenarios and the best you can hope for is if the team asks for the arbitration, is he still gets two point five five million dollars if you win every cent that you you can get the player still at over two and a half million dollars. Yeah, there's there's just so I don't see they, any way. They got to they got yeah they just they have to negotiate with him and say, we hope you like it here and. Uh, Here's your chance to stay, and then we'll see. You know, in a year's time, there's going to be way more flexibility, and we're all going to know a lot more about what's the future of hockey is. But this summer, if you're going on the open market, Andreas, you're taking big chances because all the teams are facing this crunch. I guess my oh. the point I'm trying to make is, like, for the agent mm-hmm. to sign, take that lower offer right now, yep. he has to figure if we wait. He's got to read the tea leaves and think, if we wait, it's going to get worse. The time to sign is actually now, not yep. later. Yep. As because the the normal thing would well, I'll do my due diligence right now. It looks like he's going to be a, a UFA. The orders aren't going to qualify him. He's going to be UFA. I'll do, we'll just see what offers come in, and and we'll go from there. But if he's reading the tea leaves correctly, he he might think, oh, he might realize Athanasio is going to be lucky to get two million dollars in a UFA market with this current situation in the NHL. And if the Oilers are offering $2 million right now, or if they're going to trade him to another team, like I'm just trying to think, would, is there any reason another team would trade for him? And I, I'm having a hard time thinking of any reason another team would offer anything 
for Athanasio right now, unless they think they can sign him for a million, you know, a million, eight million, right. and, and they would accept that. But I don't, right. why wouldn't he just take, that's no. probably what the Oilers are offering. So why wouldn't he just sign with the Oilers? So I don't, I don't see any way I get, my point is no. there's no team that's going to trade for this player's negotiating rights. I don't see that happening. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I don't and see it. My point is you hold until you determine that and then you fold and the, the favored way to fold is to try and trade him for something, and this and the and the drop dead way to fold is you just don't qualify the guy and you let him walk, and you know that's a that's looking increasingly like a likely scenario. I mean the question Ken Holland has to ask himself is not well I've invested two for second round draft picks in this guy and now, you know now we've got to make something happen. His question is, am I better off spending three million dollars on this guy? Or can I use that $3 million in this depressed market to bring in better hockey players for that same amount of money? And I think you're going to very much be looking at door number two then. And so Asanasius and his agent got to figure out what's our real price point, given that we don't have a contract and uh, the Oilers are the only team that can make us an offer right now. But we have no guarantees that if we get to October 9th and he goes on the market that, you know, he might be Riley Shane. You remember Riley Shane? He had three years where he made over two million dollars. He made two point one million dollars in Florida, and he sat around on the open market for over two months before Edmonton signed him in September for nine hundred thousand. Like he made less than half last year than he did the year before. Yeah. Asmacio, he's not twenty-seven like Shane, so he's not unrestricted. But if he's not qualified, then he is unrestricted, and all bets are off as to you know. I mean. Might one team out there say, yeah, we're going to take a chance on this guy. Here's $3 million. Maybe, but I'm thinking no that that's not a chance. That uh, So if, if if Holland's offering him a decent price, they got to think hard about it. So that's that's the whole part of my thing. You hold him until you find out about that, and then you got to be prepared to say, man, two draft choices for not very much. But we yeah, I don't see the agent doing... Direction. Yeah, I don't see them... Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's not a you know, speaking of, of Shea and Bruce, speaking of Shea and they, mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, he he was in contract negotiations with the Oilers, sure, in January, and mm -hmm. man, he made a big mistake. You know, he didn't know this. No one knew this, and right. by not taking whatever the Oilers were offering, because whatever Shea was offered then, he ain't getting that now. I can guarantee you that. And this is this is uh, there was a huge negative reaction when Frank Sarvalli of TSN put out the rumor that the Oilers were trying to trade Athanasio, a lot of people were saying, oh, this is like the most Oiler thing ever, throwing away assets. And But mm -hmm. come on, like, back off, back off from that automatic negativity for, for a second. When they traded for Athanasio, it looked like he was going to play about 20 games. Yep. They'd get 20-game window at the end of the season to see this player play. It looked like the cap was going to be 85 to $86 million going up. So it would almost have been automatic. Holland was probably thinking we're going to qualify this player right. with the cap going up. And and so those two factors went out the window. So mm -hmm. you, you can't say this is the most Oilers thing ever. It's like blaming the pandemic on Ken Holland. This <laughs> decision is completely driven. It's yeah. completely driven by what happened in the pandemic Yes. which was unknown at that time, and the economics that flow out of that. It changed oh. everything. So I just think it's, like, honestly, I think it's kind of a knee-jerk stupid comment, if, if that's what you're saying right now. And it, that's a rude thing to say to people. So I won't say that on Twitter. I'm just saying it here. To, I'm not saying it to anyone in particular, but just back no, and think again mm. if you're making that argument, because it's not a very strong argument. Ken Holland oh. has, can't think about the sunk costs of this. He's got to make a decision based on right now. And right now, for $2 million dollars, you might be able to get a, a better winger than Andreas Athanasiou, certainly for Andreas Athanasiou at $3 million. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's an old saying attributed to uh, Forrest Gump. Shit happens. And a whole lot of it happened. <laughs> and uh, when this COVID came down, I mean, it changed everything. Uh, the, I mean, you're talking about this, the uh, cap going up by expected $4 million. Well, Holland's got something like $8 million to play with, and he's got to get a goalie, a 3C, three other players. Uh, and he's got 18 players under contract. That's just to get the 23-man roster. Uh, and he's got about $8 million to play with. This is assuming spending all the way to the cap. And uh, if the salary cap had gone up by $4 million, then he'd have $12 million to play with. And it changes the equation entirely when you're talking yeah. about 
you know, the marginal sort of five extra players for eight million versus five extra players for 12 million. That's a huge difference. Um, that just went away. And unfortunately, he was, uh, uh, I mean, he signed maybe a couple contracts that uh, he might regret now, and uh, especially the Zach Cassian contract, especially yeah. the Zach Cassian contract, but even the Josh Archibald pack. Yeah. You know, two years, $1.5 million, nice raise for, you know, a fairly useful player. Well, if they hadn't signed that, uh, they would probably be able to get him for less. A million. Yeah. And, and now, Ca I mean, Cassian right now, Cassian oh, would probably be signing a two-year deal at yeah, two, two, two million dollars a year, something like that. Like, sir, like, yeah. And yeah, and again, half the term and lower, significantly lower cap hit, and it's uh, unfortunately by getting ahead of the curve, when the curve suddenly collapsed and crashed into the COVID crisis, and. Uh, those uh, those decisions look really bad in retrospect, but who could have seen it coming? You know. Yeah, the only long. guy I know was that guy working at Alberta Health Services who ordered <laughs> all those supplies in December. <laughs> he should have been advising Ken Holland. Okay, uh -huh. uh, first let's let's go with a. You know, we've been speculating on what's going to happen back and forth. Are they going to go big? Like we had Lawton's Brian Lawton's prediction that they would trade two out of four top four D men, which is kind of the most aggressive. Uh, statement I've heard about what might happen this summer. Um, we've heard other people, Kurt Levins was writing about maybe going for a, a number one goalie, like not just a, possibly um, a guy to play in tandem with Koskinen, but it was very interesting. Um, I think that the things are kind of simmering down now, and I'm taking final confirmation of this from Bob Nicholson today. He was on Oilers now, and Bob asked him uh, why the team, you know, what, what he was thinking with the team didn't make making the playoffs. And, and Bob said, said just bluntly that they weren't good enough. And uh, which is a fairly accurate comment. And then he, he talked about what's going to happen in the offseason. And, and we're going to try something here, Bruce. I'm just going to play the clip and let's see if you can hear it. Yeah. I think I have it. This is Bob Stoffer and uh, Bob Nicholson on Oilers now. Um, you know, we've got two of the best players uh, in the world and uh we're not going to make huge changes, but we're going to handle tinker with this lineup and uh, make us uh, make us a better hockey club, and maybe more importantly, get us so we're more consistent uh, for not just one year, but uh, a number of years ahead of us. All right, so not huge changes, just tinker with things, but uh, Bruce. And this is kind of where we were. We both, I think, both of us, if I'm not mistaken. In the last few days, at least, maybe you were always there, but it's where I've kind of ended. Like I was kind of distracted by the shiny things of a new goaltender and maybe a big trade of one of these top defensemen. But um, Holland himself made it clear at the end of the year when when people were really losing their minds after the playoffs that he was going to go with continuity and patience. And now we have, so that was out of his mouth right after the playoffs. Right. Continuity and patience. And now we yep. have Nicholson saying, no huge moves, tinkering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and uh, what I've come to realize, looking at the salary cap closely, thinking it through, th this is by far the, the best policy. Unless there's a deal that hits you over the head and being a great deal, just an mm -hmm. absolute steal from some team having to, you know, shed salary because they're just, you know, they're having a bargain basement sale. Um, the owners don't mm -hmm. have a lot of options because they have a $7 million, $8 million cap ceiling to, to bring in these players. Um I like the idea at this point of gradualism, uh, incrementalism. I think it's with this particular team, with the young prospects they have coming up on defense, um, yes, and, and with the conundrum that they have of finding who to play with Connor McDavid, which isn't necessarily, you know, trade everything for Patrick Liney or Nikolai, Nikolai Ehlers from Winnipeg, um, there's... There, I think you can solve that problem with McDavid in a, in, a, in a different way with a less expensive player. So I, I liked the sound of what Nicholson said there. And I liked what Holland, you know, when, when Holland said that, I, I found it reassuring at the time. I think he nailed it. And I think Nicholson con confirmed it. And I, and I liked it. What's your thought? Yeah, well, I remember that postseason um, avail with Holland and he mentioned that basically last year they turned over a lot of players like in the bottom six, like they do every time they change GMs every two years. And uh, he said that he wouldn't be doing that. And then the proof's in the pudding because of all the, the guys that uh, he brought in, or at least who 
came up and made the team last year, if you want to include Patrick Russell, to names like Gaetan Haas, Joachim Niegaard, Josh Archwald, that he brought in last summer and has already extended. So you know there's going to be some continuity in the bottom six, and there's just a couple guys left that uh, uh, that we're going to talk about. But 12 of the forwards are under contract. So barring a trade, uh, the Oilers up front are going to look pretty similar to what they, they did before. So really, the, the, way, the only way to shake things up in a significant way is to uh, up front is to make a trade and there's a little bit more room on the back end and and especially in goal they have one guy locked up but they have a lot of options for the second uh goaltender yeah uh but that's an incremental decision you know that's uh, you know unless they go out and make a you know splashy trade and bring in an expensive guy you know or somehow move out Koskinen and bring in a more expensive guy or, or whatever. I mean, that would be, uh, you know, that would be a major move. But I, I, I'm i envisioning a Koskinen goalie X pairing last year with Koskinen playing 50 to 60% of the games and the other guy being a regular that, you know, is competing to get as much as half the ice time. And they're going to want a good, solid veteran goalie. And I think a lot of people think they need to, move on and upgrade from Mike Smith. Yeah, I I thought actually um, Alan Mitchell uh, in The Athletic wrote a really good piece on the weekend. He and tends he, to do that. And he, uh, he put forward a number of incremental moves, such as signing, like for the top six, Jesper Fast from the Rangers. I like that a lot. That's for, you know, third line center, I think it was Thomas Nosek from Vegas is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And then as a goalie, I think Aaron O'Dell. So I think if if you if you had the the wish lists of Oilers fans two weeks ago, mm-hmm. those names would not be at the top of the list, Bruce. Probably you know, with, and when names like Kemper and Ekman Larson are being bandied about, and Aaron Ekblad from Florida, blah blah blah, Ehlers, you know, yeah, Lainey. and 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 yeah, <laughs> Ellers, Liney, and then moving out, you know, names being bandied about Clefbaum, Nurse, mm-hmm. whatever. I I don't think any of that's going to happen. Um, I'd be, I'd be surprised at this point. And, and Alan, I don't know if he's got the players right, but his, his idea is correct. And, and I've been writing about the same idea in my McDavid series, finding the right winger to play with McDavid. It's not necessarily Patrick Liney or Nikolai Ehlers. He's, he's a player like Crosby and Pittsburgh's played with players like, um, Brian Rust and Connor Sheary and Chris Kunitz. Those are the that's the kind of player that I think might fit in just fine with Connor McDavid. And you don't have to break bake break the bank to get those players because he's such a unique player to fit in with. He dominates the puck like Crosby. Um, it's not like Ellers is isn't Ellers kind of you know I think his game's carrying the puck like he's a tricky with the puck. I don't see him necessarily being a great fit. Now Liney would be obviously great a shooter like that to play with Connor McDavid would be wonderful, but you can't afford him. It's not going to happen. So third guy better be good at defense. Um, oh God, <laughs> yeah, you better have a third defenseman yeah. up there. You know who you know is the best guy. I think that the Oilers have brought in that that play, wound up playing a lot with McDavid was Patrick Maroon. Yes. And you would not have said at first, you know, that this is a good fit necessarily. He's too slow. You know, uh, there's there's reasons that you wouldn't think he'd fit, but he was smart. Uh, He didn't need to have the puck on his stick a lot of the time. He provided some physical play. He went to the front of the net and he looked for passes on his stick that he could tap, tap home. And he did a lot. And he had a very successful season and a pretty decent second year, uh, even though they wound up trading him because, of course, he was his contract was expiring. And he wound up signing much cheaper in St. Louis, and they wound up cheaper still signing in Tampa Bay, and he might wind up with two Stanley Cups in the following two years, Patrick Maroon. So worked out well for him. But they got to find a guy like that. And he, they found him on the discard pile, right? Anaheim was so desperate to get rid of a winger that year at the trade deadline, they brought in, I think, three wingers. And all of a sudden, they went, holy mackerel, we got a lot of wingers. We better move one. Right at like 3 o'clock hour at the very end of the trade deadline, they shipped him to Edmonton, and they kept $500,000 of his $2 million cap hit. So the orders got this player, $1.5 million for two years. And he's, like I say, I mean, barring, I mean, Dreisaitl, who obviously they didn't bring in to be McDavid's winger. 
to, they went out and found a guy who could play with McDavid. And I, to me, the best was Maroon. And I'm not saying they have to find his clone. I'm just saying they have to find another player off the discard pile somehow that isn't costing three or five or $18 million to, to play. I mean, they got the big money guys. They, they need to find economies uh, that those top guys can play with and outscore with. Those were back in the days when the Oilers, when Shirelli was, you know, in the early days, he won a few trades, the Cassian trade, the Talbot trade, the, uh, and obviously the Maroon trade. And mm -hmm. I, I just remember when they got him, I was ecstatic because I always thought he was a really good hockey player. Like he just was, I just, yeah, he's I exactly like the kind of like players the Oilers Hill. never had. Big, tough guy who can make a play. And that that's what McDavid could be with. Big, tough guy. Like Cassian actually did okay. Like he wasn't great. But, uh, you know, that wasn't, you know, there, there was worse fits than Cassian when, than with McDavid. You just need someone with a bit more skill to, to, to be on the other side then. But, um, yeah, Maroon's better defensively than Cassian. But Cassian was was good last year, there, you know, with McDavid for much of the year. And then he just fell off after that new contract. Bruce, let's, um, there's two more players upcoming. We got, uh, we're going to be looking at Riley, Shane, and Tyler Ennis, which is keep, hold, or fold, maybe it would be more like grab, grab or fold because they're UFAs. So the orders right. actually, it's just it's more straightforward. They, they can't hold. hold them. They don't have no they hold. Keep them or they move on from them. So, um, what's your take? Let's we'll, we'll let's do um, let's do NS first. Keep okay. or fold. Okay. Uh, my inclination, and I'm going to research this more before we write this post. So, the podcast might not match the. The post. I'll say you right now. But my inclination is to try and keep Tyler Ennis uh, if they can keep the price uh, anywhere near where he is. It's useful to have depth scoring, which he provides. I don't see him as a top six player, but I do see him as a guy that can move up into the top six on occasion. Like to me, he's like Mike Camilleri was, or you know, player of that nature, where you know he's an experienced guy. He knows how to put the puck in the net on occasion. Uh, he's not a long-term fix, as a, you know, to a to a, a, a overarching problem. He's a he's a piece, but he's a useful piece, and he he did okay in his time here. Uh, scored a little bit. I think there was one goal against that I thought he was a little out to lunch, but it wasn't like he was a disaster on the defensive side of the puck. And. Uh, the, the thing that both of these guys are fighting, and just to put them briefly in the same category, uh, the Oilers have 12 forwards coming back. They have these two unrestricted free agents. If they sign those two guys, they got the whole same forward core that they ended the season with. And then how do you change that? So they may be, they may be you know, if there's a game of musical chairs, let's say there is, and there's 12 chairs, well, guess what? They're all taken. So yeah. they could wind up both being in the fold camp. Mind you, two veteran forwards like Shane and Ennis, both making under a million dollars a year, you're not going to do better than that unless you can spend the same money and get a better veteran. I really like liked Ennis's game. Uh, he played well with McDavid. He did okay. He did okay with uh, Drysaddle and uh, Yamamoto in the playoffs. Not great, but okay. Not He wasn't Nugent Hopkins out there. I'm still hurting about that, Bruce. I'll be hurting yeah, about that a long time. Uh, but the orders were worse off after he got hurt in game three. They they were they were worse off because Athanasio just was a, just did not come close to being able to fit in with Drysaitel and uh, Yamamoto. He was just the wrong fit there. Yeah, I like Anis. I think he can play with McDavid. I think mm -hmm. he's a smart enough player to play with McDavid. I don't know why he wasn't with McDavid in the playoffs. Quite honestly, he should have been. Um, and um, so, if you can get a player who might be able to fit in with Connor McDavid and put up like let's say forty points. Um, with McDavid, I would sign that guy in a second. And the fact that you might be able to get him for $800,000, like if you can sign him, the quicker the better. I, I would sign Tyler Ennis right. to a new new contract, and I hope that they, that happens. Riley Shea and Bruce, mm -hmm. um, again, this is leading into another of my pet peeves through the regular season and then into the playoffs. I don't know why you would ever play Shea and Kara on the same line. They're just two big, slow guys who are the same player, kind of the same strengths, somewhat same strengths and somewhat same weaknesses. And I think you have to have one or the other on the team. I don't think you'd want both. 
So if they can't move, I, I didn't. I think actually Shea's slightly better of the two players. He's he's a better penalty killer, slightly better at even strength, um, slightly more consistent. So I would, if I had to pick, but it's I would pick Shea. But it's Kara who has the contract right. for next year at one point two million. Mm-hmm. And if they can't move Kara, then mm-hmm. um, then you. you then you can't bring Shane back. I don't think, I just think it's too much of a replication. You need a speedy center. You need, you know, if you're going to play Kara as your fourth line center with, with let's say Neil and chase on, which was not a bad line um, in the playoffs. Um, then you, you speed need a speedy center. You need that. And you can't play them together. Like that never worked. And why, why Tippett went back to that in the playoffs? I guess, I don't know. I, I never understood that at the time. I didn't like it. Cause that line was never very, it was always weak. When you had Shane and Kara out there, they just they just weren't able to cycle the puck, get offensive zone time, and they weren't strong on their own end either. Yeah, he brought Haas in for Game Four after the Ennis injury, and Haas yeah. being a center, and Kara being a center winger, they shifted Kara over to the left wing where where uh, Ennis had been playing, uh, and shuffled the lines. But uh, uh, that. I mean, at the beginning of camp and right through the first part of the year when all three were healthy, which wasn't all the time, they had and Archibald, and Kara was the default checking line. And uh, the only fast guy of the three was Archibald, and, and both both uh, Sheehan and Kara, let's see, say, there's, uh, you know, a lot of similarities, pretty lumbering skaters, both big men, you know, 6'3", 210-pound kind of guys, uh, both good penalty killers, uh, Shane pretty good on the dot and Kara getting better on the dot. I mean, he's a little, you know, hasn't got the experience playing center, uh, but, but coming on a bit, uh, uh, but at even strength, they both got caved on the goals for percentage. Like Shane, he was on the ice for 17 goals for 37 against at five on five, like more than two to one. And uh, that's a way smaller sample, of course, than, than, uh, flow of play statistics, which were, you know, in the sort of mid 40% range, not 31% or whatever that goal share was, but still, you know, underwater. And you expect that a little bit in your bottom six, but uh, uh, that getting pounded on the goal share by that much kind of kind of took away from the advantages of the, you know, the better penalty kill. Well, you've got a guy who's good on the penalty kill, but he's minus 20 at five on five. How far ahead are you? So I got him... Uh, there's things I like about the player, and there's, I wrote about him last summer when he was on the market and said he might be a decent fit here, and they actually did go out and sign him. And he did provide more or less the things that it looked like he might provide based on his stats and things he'd said and so on. But can they upgrade on him? I think probably they can. So I'm, to me, I'm, I'm re- reluctantly, and because I think they're going to want to change something out, I'm, I'm uh, kind of reluctantly uh, in the fold position. Yeah, I would say fold as well. Although I, I my preference is move out Kara and bring. Yeah, that, that's 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 a reasonable alternative. But uh, uh, if you're talking about simply bringing him back and sort of bringing back all 14 forwards that were so great together in the playoffs, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe we need a we need yeah. some fresh legs in there somewhere in the mix. Yeah, they need some change. You're right, Bruce. So so when we we you know we look at the replays of the goals and we try to figure out who made mistakes on goals for and against mm-hmm. Shane contributed to 15 goals for major contribution to 15 goals for and major mistake on 19 goals against which isn't terrible for a center in his role but it's not it's not you'd you'd like him to be in the positive like Haas was 11 and 10 11 4 10 against but Kara who was more on the wing he contributed to 11 goals and made mistakes major mistakes on 18 against so for a winger that's really That's that's really bad like honestly so if they can move uh, Jujar Kara, that would be the, that's the, I, I would give them a lot of credit, Holland a lot of credit if he can make that trade because Kara uh, at a million two, when you can get a player like that, like a big tough physical winger, probably for 800000 900000 this, oh, this year. They, league that's minimum. what they pay Shane, right? So. so yeah, I don't know if they can, I doubt they can move Kara. So that means bye-bye Riley Shane, I think. And I don't think there's going to be much uh, much debate about that. It's going to be, you know, I I just want to add one thing, Bruce, about this this mm-hmm. whole idea of the Oilers taking it slow, like tinkering. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of the reasons I like that is I think it's more of um, you're in a wait and see mode this summer a little bit. You're not the person yeah. looking to make also. the big splash. You're let let all the people splash or make the big splashes. That you everyone else blow your brains out on day one of free agency, make all the big trades, do all that kind of stuff. We'll just take it easy, see what happens, and then kind of fill in around the edges because. I think there's going to be great, great bargains as the summer, as the off season, excuse me, goes along. You get into late, like into November, and um, you know the season's looming, and players are sitting around and they're looking. I think you're going to be able to get a lot of players at league minimum who can really help your team, and mm-hmm. are close to league minimum. So I, I like that. If that's going to be the Oilers' approach, I, I'm wholly would endorse that. Yeah, I mean, the trade market, maybe that's the way to find a goalie where you have cost certainty, but also, you know, established performance of of the goalie. Uh, If, I mean, if there's a way that you parlay that Chris Russell. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Into into a uh, goalie. uh, You know, Carter Hutton. That was one I think John Willis suggested, was it, John? Yeah, it was. Oh, uh, yeah. Something he 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 mentioned Carter. Russell yeah, he had the higher cap hit, but Hutton had the higher amount of money owed. So to a budget team like Buffalo, it actually works out. And for the Oilers, they got you know an established number two goalie that's been around the league for a few years, and you know he's he's Arundel the, the third. You know, I mean, there's lots of those sort of reasonable level netminders out there and you one way to get them is by trade and if you move out a contract to bring in a contract that's all right so here's my wild and crazy trade for a goalie straight up trade is one for one james neal for mark andre fleury who says no vegas yeah well it's the third <laughs> year of neal's deal that's the killer right like yeah it's the third it's year. Three years to two, but it's um, uh, Fleury's at $7 million and very much on the outs with the organization, was sitting on the bench while they lost in the conference final. And uh, so they may be looking for a resolution there. I'm just saying that. So that's the kind of crazy stuff you might explore. Could the Oilers afford that? I guess they could afford well, that. They're I mean, moving they're getting rid of, they're, yeah, yeah. No, they could afford and, that. That's a they're good getting, deal. They're, they're getting their second goalie. You know, they're paying a little bit more, but now the goalie situation is resolved. The Oilers don't just, say no just throwing that. Out, just throwing it out there. That, you know, that, and uh, Neil had a good year in Vegas, and Vegas was having trouble scoring goals in the playoffs, so. So Carter Hutton's save percentage the last three years, 930, 931, Whoa. down to 908, mm-hmm. down to 898 this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe, how old is he? He's not young. Um, the wheel's fallen off, the Carter Hutton. Uh, he's 34. Well, some, some people, he's, is he really? 34. 34? Wow. Yeah. He must have so come up late. He hasn't been around that long. No, he's got a career save percentage of 911, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had that one really great year, right? Right. If you're but, looking for um, a backup, though, I mean, that's, that's yeah. the kind of thing where you move a salary to bring in a, a salary with a different position being goal. You've resolved your goalie position and you haven't impacted your cap hit that, that, that much because you moved somebody out to get him. Depends where Chris Russell's no no uh, trade teams are. Probably is Buffalo, Buffalo one of them? <laughs> he probably has Buffalo. He might not have Arizona. He might not have Arizona. So, um, you know, there's lots of... Oh, lots I, I of, heard there's 17 budget teams out there now. There was a great, great article. If people are on The Athletic or have a way to get into re- reading this article by Scott Burnside on the, uh, on the sort of the new paradigm that's ruling the 17. NHL world. Seventeen teams that are, are that have said something about playing to an internal budget below the salary cap. So wow. Chris Russell can only submit fifteen that he can't be traded to. So that leaves at least two. That well, my that, predictions look better be every day. <laughs> I predicted they'll be able to move. Them. I mean, it's not as that far out on a limb, but I, it's not an easy trade to make. It, it certainly wasn't looking it to be easy. But that's make that's making me more and more hopeful that. Uh-huh. Uh, they can make that that trade. Mark Andre Fleury's um, save percentage is not that great in the last couple of years either. I do not believe. If I if, let me just check that. But would so would Vegas make that, Bruce? Like, 
I mean, you know, they're, they're, I think they're going to have, uh, although I heard the buyout word, the B, the B word, the B letter was supposed to buy out mm-hmm. today. I heard that on Oilers now. So, uh, for, for who? For Flurry. Vegas eh? might have to buy mm-hmm. him out. So, mm-hmm. so Flurry's well. save percentage in the last two years has been 913 and 905. Okay. Um, and how many games did he play? 61 and 49. So, so he's yeah. so old now. Like to me, he could probably be a good goalie if he was playing 30, 35, 40 games. If you're asking him yeah. to play 61 because your backup is Malcolm Subban and you don't trust him, then he's going to wear down at age 35 or whatever he is now, 36. Yeah. So he, he and his agent have got to be looking for the right place to land in. I'm just I'd saying, love- you know, you think he's way out of bounds. Well, we got a contract that's pretty out of bounds, too. How about we do this? We solve your problem, and you solve ours, and we, you know, we work with our new problems. <laughs> I guess if yeah. that might be, would that be better than a buyout? Let's let's just deal with that, person oh. since you raised it. Is it better than a buyout for Vegas? Probably better than a buyout. Like, you'd have to think, do they think James Neal can help us in any way? Could he right. be like a fourth-line guy who we could put on the power play, you know, they had a pretty hard pace. Oh. They had a pretty hard time scoring some goals in the playoffs. They had, so they eight, might think- they had eight goals in five games against uh, uh, against um, Dallas. And they had uh, two goals that weren't empty netters in their last three games against Vancouver. So throw out those two empty netters in game seven that turned it from one nothing to 3 nothing, And in their last eight games... They scored 10 goals on a goalie. So you got to know, they're burning the saying, we need somebody to put the puck in the net. So, I mean, that the may or may not game. be. That may or may not be James. Jesus, David, I don't know if you're taking a $7 million contract off their hands. But that third year, Bruce, if it was even years, I would agree with no. you. But because there's no. that third year then... Because there's the third year. I don't know. Like, like I think you have to. Re- I don't think. I don't think the owners could say, "Well, we'll retain on the third year." Like, we'll retain no, half I don't, on the third. I don't think. I think it can. has to be every year, right? So I don't think. Um, but I. Well, listen, I don't think that would be Vegas's first pick mm-hmm. as a trade. But if there's nothing else out there, is it is it better? That's why I'm asking. Is it yeah. better than the buyout? And the buyout probably hurts a lot, right? Buyouts just suck. We know. Well, and they linger. And they linger. I mean, we're still, like, we're still paying for Benoit Pouliot, for goodness sake. Well, what would that be? He's been like, gone for however, two or three years. Be, now he's still on the friggin' payroll. Would that be like four years to buy him out? That's yep. four years at, at 2.333, uh, uh, two-thirds of his salary, so a third of each year. So he'd be four years at $2.33 million against Vegas. Oh, and if Edmonton were to buy out Neil, it would be six years at one point nine million. So you're dealing with the lower amount, but the longer stretch. So it's just, you know, Oilers aren't buying out Neil. That's no, sure. and I don't think Vegas is buying out Flurry because the buyout just means brutal. You open up cap space, but you have to spend it on some other guy, or you know, the move makes no sense at all in some ways. So yeah. Anyway, I, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, I like you're talking it. about a bad contract for a bad contract. Trade your bad contract for somebody else's bad goalie contract, but that still the goalie himself is okay. It's not a $7 million goalie. But does you know you're no, going to... Does he have a no-move thing in his contract? I would dare say he's willing to waive it at this point. I mean, you remember that, uh, that uh, nice Photoshop that his agent posted, Alan Walsh posted on Twitter, with Fleury being stabbed by the great Vegas spear. <laughs> I would suggest he's willing to waive that no no movement clause at this point. That was not a good. I guess if you want the goalie to move, it's a good move. Like if and if you want to if you want to spread poison during a during the boy, I would be mad if I was a Vegas fan if if some agent pulled that stunt. That was a really that that was was that was bush league. I thought by Al Walsh. I mean, yeah. I mean, it 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 made its impact, but. Here's one. Here's one thought. Splashy for a moment. Um, in the last couple of days, uh, Bob Stoffer's been asking his guests about, you know, with Vegas. Do you think that they got a little over aggressive? You know, they fired the popular coach in Jar Gallant. They brought in the goalie to replace Flurry, who was this popular guy, and then they instead of using him as a backup, they kind of went with him. Mm-hmm. And it, and it did get me thinking, Bruce, because I did that research into teams that make the Stanley Cup Finals. Who's your goalie? And it seems like. That goalie's been there a while. He's he's on the team. He's kind of at the heart of the team, you know, usually or often. 
Um, he's been in the organization, at least. He's worked his way up. And it just may, maybe there is some psychological thing where with the goalie to have that kind of connection, organizational connection, longtime goalie with the team. Maybe Bob's onto something there with Flurry. Like if they had stuck with the, you know, it's like it's you, you, you dance with the oh, one no. who brung you. And and uh, isn't that the expression? It is the expression, but I'm, I've got enough counter examples to uh, Craig Bennington. But he uh, was with the organization for He was with the org, but they, you know, they called him up in the, you know, second half of the season. He was a rookie. Uh, Matt Murray was, a, I think, a rookie when Pittsburgh won the first cup. Uh, Cam Ward was a rookie. And Dwayne Rolison was new to his organization. I mean, I'm going back a few years, but that's a cup final that stands out for obvious reasons. And, I mean, some, some of both, but obviously, I mean, Braden Holtby, for instance, he, he was the go-to guy in Washington for many years, and he finally won the cup. So that's, you know, that's one that supports uh, uh, the case that you're well, the only. The only one in the last year who wasn't with the organization, and I take your point with Bennington, he was in the minors, but the only one who wasn't with the organization who came in that year is uh, is uh, the set, uh, what's his name, Jones? Uh, is it Matt Jones? Went to San Jose? Martin Jones. Martin Jones, from L.A. to San Jose. Um, Martin Jones. That was the only one who came in, and he, he came in at the start of the year, and he was with San Jose that whole year, and he took his team. Every other goalie had been with the organization, this is uh, recent cup finals. Since right? in the last eight seasons, since the last CBA. And I think that's when you have to date. If you're going to do these oh, kind enough. of looks at things, it has to be in the in this in this current cap era. So Flurry has a no movement, no trade clause with 10 teams on it. So probably every Canadian yeah. team. Although you never know. He might be the kind of guy who would be okay going to Canada to mm-hmm. come play hockey. And he might be the kind of guy who would waive the no trade clause. Um, just to get I, I don't think the no-trade cause is an issue in the specific case of Mark Andre Fleury. But Bob, or, but uh, Bruce, he might be looking for a buyout. He could get the buyout and then sign with whoever the heck he wants. Right? That's the best situation for the player, is it not? Get the buyout. Uh, the- if he, as as long as he can sign for a, a third of his old value, then he's going to break even. If he, if he gets bought out and he signs somewhere for 1.5 million, like Andre Secker did, Andre Secker lost money this year because of the buyout. He got he got some of his contract and then he got a new contract, but the two of them together didn't make up for what he would have been paid if he hadn't been bought out. So, what do you think so, Flurry could get? Three million, even in this this cap kind of maybe. I don't know. Three top. If he got bought out. Top three million, maybe, maybe two. Bought out. And that agent and I, all that. I mean, yeah, he's a name player, you know, maybe, but you know, there's no this year, there's so few guarantees. I mean, this the whole industry is is really under the gun, and yeah. it's 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 hard to hard to tell how this thing's going to fall out. But this upcoming October free agent season is going to be a real eye-opener. It's going to be different from ones that we've seen in the past by a lot. 17 budget teams, Bruce. Thanks Apparently, for saying that. That made my day. I'm going to go read that uh, article right now. Scott Burnside wrote it for The Athletic, and he just talked about all, you know, how are they going to play the 2021 season? What, you know, when might it start? What might it look like? Are they going to try and do bubbles? Are they, you know, how are they going to get fans in the stands how many fans do you need to break even if you had you know 5,000 fans uh in a 17,000 seat arena but you needed 10,000 to break even how does that work for the teams you know there's uh is there is are they building a bridge to a more secure future or are they just building it from one side and they don't know what's on the other side you know I mean this bubble playoffs I mean give them credit they pulled it off but one of the points of the story was that the bubble playoffs you know had a beginning and end date and it was contained and whereas the future is quite an open book and with uh, COVID continuing to ravage United States and also growing cases again in BC and Ontario I understand and getting worse here in Alberta so this thing is just not uh, this thing is just not 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 <clears throat> not uh, bending to our will and it's hard to say, you know, when it's going to run its course or, or how it's going to get, uh, you know, 
whether it's a vaccine or treatment. I mean, there's all these questions that are totally beyond the, the realm of hockey. Yeah. That something's going to have to work out. So anyway, there's there's a whole lot to chew on in, the, in that uh, in that article. And, and uncertainty is the word of the day. My prediction, Bruce, my hot take prediction is the Oilers will be playing, the, the NHL will be playing before fans in January. Okay, I hope you're and right. And I'm basing that on, although there's more cases, the death rate in, in across the world seems to be down significantly. In Alberta, this month, three people have died from COVID. Three people. Um, and that's down from 20-something in August and 70-something in um, July. So I don't know what's happening. I haven't looked into it. I haven't talked to anyone. But just going on what I'm seeing in Alberta and around the world in terms of death rates, I'm kind of hopeful that uh, there certainly could be a, a rebound, though, in this fall. So we'll see what happens. We'll know yeah. more. My main point with COVID is we're going to know a hell of a lot more. So will the NHL yeah. in two months in November. We're, we'll well, have a much better sense of where this is. And uh, But I, my prediction is at this point that we'll, we'll have fans. I'm not saying every seat, but it, but but maybe every third seat. Um, or second seat will be filled uh, when they get back to playing. Now, whether people will want to go watch and take that risk is another question. But the October free agency uh, situation is uh, it, those questions aren't even going to be begun to be answered by then. Oh, the other, I guess the other thing you can look at, I mean, you talked about uh, Oilers trying to um, move on from Jujar Kara at $1.2 million. Now, there may be some team out there, some team that's established an internal budget and they say you know we've got this useful veteran at 1.2 or 1.5 million dollars but we got players in the system coming up that we can pay the nhl minimum to and we can save ourselves five or eight hundred thousand or a million dollars yeah. and just move on from this guy that's where you can find a bargain where you can get a you know a significant hockey player who doesn't have that big a ticket but the other team is saving incrementally so they move on from him, and maybe they trade him for a pick or a prospect or something. And maybe that's a, a market that you really got to watch but carefully. I'm not sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Like, is this the Oilers moving, being able to move Kara? The Oilers, Oilers, no. This is the Oilers being able to get a player like Kara, like his contract from some other team, or the for other teams. Uh, just being able to get a better player from oh, another team. Yeah. That's 1.2, 1.5 million dollars, and the other team says. Yeah, he's all right, but we can replace him for seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, others might look at that same guy and say, "Hey, that guy's going to be an upgrade on our team, and we can get him for cheap because this team is on a budget. Let's go get him." So yeah, I can see. So if another team thought like another team might have in mind that Jujar Kara actually is that player who is just the guy they need because he Mm -hmm. because he offers like let's say they're let's say they're a smaller team that lacks physicality. And they say, we need a tough guy. And, and Jujar, he fights now and then for his teammates. He's a big physical player. He's the guy. And so we'll take him off your hands. I don't mm-hmm. actually think that's going to happen. Like another team's going to make right. that calculation with Kara. I would bet against that actually at this mm-hmm. point. But I can, yeah, the Oilers might be able to get a center, a third line center that way, where they're bringing in that player um, who's being paid that amount of money, who, who the other team thinks they can replace with a minor leaguer. That's, that could easily happen. I agree. Mm-hmm. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Yeah. Oh, were we? Uh, were we we were going to talk a little bit about the nurse cleft bomb that we. Oh, just real quick because we've already had yeah. an hour here. So go okay. ahead. Okay. Yeah, this was the part where uh, where Nicholson and and uh, Holland are saying we're not going to do <clears throat> the big moves, and obviously if they do OEL, all bets are off. But I was in in our review of Keepholder Fold on. Uh, the Oilers, I looked at some of the numbers for Nurse, and, you know, he's been in the league five years now. And if someone had told you five years ago, David, that this big, young, promising, fast, tough defenseman uh, from years three to five of his career would be in the top five in the NHL and ice time, uh, even strength ice time, and in the top five in the NHL, and process things, shots on goal, rush attempts, individual scoring chances, high danger chances. The guy is a, a scoring chance machine, uh, judging from the uh, the data from natural stat trick. He gets into the danger areas and stuff happens. And even when you say, well, he's got so much ice time, that's why he's ahead of everybody else. So if you take the air out of that and say, how much per 60? 
He is uh, uh, basically in the top 10 in the NHL in all those categories. So you're looking for an offensive defenseman. Well, you know, you've got a 25-year-old guy there that's been bringing it for three years and he, you know, and he produces points. Like he's sixth in assists, seventh in points, 5v5 over that span. In three years, I mean, that's more than half his career. And he's still a guy in their eyes, and I recognize he's got warts. But as I keep saying, as we come back to, you got to recognize the good with the bad. And when you see top five, top ten among all defensemen in the NHL, uh, that's a bit of an eye popper that uh, maybe he's more more proactive, more dynamic than uh, than people realize. I would only I, put... I'm a booster, and I was surprised to see him that high up in all those yeah. categories. I would only put one proviso on those mm-hmm. process stats, like rushing the puck. They have a stat for rushing it, right? Rush attempts. Mm-hmm. I checked Connor McDavid's number, and I would advise anyone, and if memory serves, and you have to fact check me on this, okay. he wasn't number one in the NHL. He wasn't in the top 10. He wasn't in the top 30. I think he was like 70th. So if Connor McDavid ranks 70th for rushing the puck up the ice, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with your stat. You're, right. you're okay. not get, it, it, Your stat is highly suspect. If the the easily the best player rushing the puck up the ice. Now, if I'm wrong, I'll correct myself next podcast. But I don't think I'm wrong. So that's I when I because I was using that stat a year ago to rate Nurse as well. And I thought I'll just check this out. Well, that's that's one rank? of several stats. Yeah. And, so but then the other. So I'm not sure about. And I I would say check all those process stats. See like in terms like, of creating high danger scoring chances, where does McDavid rank? And if he's not in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Then think, oh, is this stat really? How are they getting this? Is this accurate? That's all he'd say. I, I was, yeah, I was doing it comparing only to other defensemen. So yeah, fair enough. Wasn't in the equation, and the guys that Nurse was hanging with at the top of the charts was guys you would expect to see at the top of the charts. So it, it kind of rang true in terms of the names around him. Go, holy moly, Darnell Nurse looks good by this, and he looks good by that, and he, you know, and it it's uh, just just on the offensive side of the game, of course, and. and many rail against his defensive work, but uh, uh, there's a lot of player in Darnell Nurse, and, and he's been delivering all that on the cheap. Like, like we keep hearing about how good Clefbaum's contract is. Well, over these three years, Darnell Nurse made more than $5 million less than our Oscar Clefbaum did. So, yeah. I'm but a, his, agent, his agent was rumored to once have asked for a long-term contract in the $8 million range as a starting position. Therefore, Nurse's contract is is anathema to, to some. And I'm just, you know, that was a negotiating ploy. They wound up meeting in the middle. Let's see what happens next time. And let's see what the player does in between times. So in the meantime, this year coming up, he's a lock to be on the team. Next summer is sort of that's that's the time when they're going to have to take stock and say, are we going to want to go deep with this guy? If we're going to move on, he's got a year left. Now's the time to move. But right now he's got two years left and he and Clefbaum are both Oilers in 2021. And they've got a, you know, a real solid base there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Let me just, I'm just going to look up this McDavid number in case I'm incorrect. I can correct myself at once. So shots, IXG. If I can figure out a way to view full screen, yeah, I don't, I don't see them moving Clefbaum or, uh, or uh, Nurse. Let me see. And I don't see it as the end of the world if they don't. Okay, rush attempts. Okay, here we are. Rush attempts. Regular season rush attempts. It says leading the league was Kachuk at 20. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I'm wrong, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Rush attempts, McDavid it was fourth in the league. 15. Okay. 15 rush attempts? What, what are they? What are I, they don't I, I don't know. How, I must I be doing what, this wrong. I'll, I don't I'll, know what I'll, they're counting. Yeah. Well, this is, this is, it says for 64 games and they had McDavid well, at. 15 rush attempts. I mean, McDavid has 15 rush attempts in, in a, in a week <laughs> in the NHL. So anyway, I'm just 
Depends. Yeah, I mean, Darnell. It's higher than I thought, though. So Darnell, we're talking about twenty-five over three years. So obviously, they're talking about a big sort of rink-length dash kind of thing. It must be, but uh, that's not a category where I know exactly how they rate it. But uh, individual scoring chances, individual high-danger chances, certainly shots. Those are all categories that we're you know have a little more understanding of, and you want to have a lot of all those things, and Darnell does. Yeah, what I would do is uh, go through all these, you know, maybe go through all these and have a closer look. So I'm going to just just uh, put a check on my criticism of these stats. Maybe that maybe there there's more validity validity to them than I thought. But I'm still I'm in the skeptical camp, but I'm willing to be persuaded that these are uh, useful stats. All right, Bruce, why don't we leave it there? That seems like an excellent idea, David. Okay, talk to you later. <laughs>